Hello and welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Richie, here we are. We found another player. Mm. Before we get to that player, I want to start by asking you how your end of the search is going, because there's another player I've found. Come on. Pull your weight. You found another player? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a relief, because I was... I was in panic mode. I'm not going to lie. Obviously, the way that timings work out with uh, recording these podcasts, we have to do interviews at certain times of the week, and I was getting a bit, I was getting a bit worried. So I'm relieved to hear you've got someone. Here's a list of players that I have chased this week to no avail, in no particular order: Liam Daish, again; Jason McAteer, again; Noel Whelan, oh, yeah. Mark Crossley, Ashley Ward, Jordi Cruyff. Jordi Cruyff, class. Yep, I even tried David May, only oh. for you to remind me that he, of course, doesn't mm. have a sticker in this book. Which, which by the way, is ridiculous. But it's, it's annoying, ridiculous. because I know someone who knows David May. I was briefly in a WhatsApp group with David May. It could it could have been our first episode. He doesn't have a sticker. It's stupid. We need a Man United mm. player. We're going to struggle. Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. so I was, I was very concerned. I even contemplated reaching out to Pontus Carmark, but thought better of it. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Can you explain why there's a bit of beef between Borough fans and Pontus Carmont? You alluded to it on an old episode, but I think you need to elaborate. (sighs) Yeah. Okay, so we played against Leicester in the Coca-Cola Cup final 1997. I was 12. In fact, I was 11. So obviously you can imagine Borough fans heading down to Wembley for the first time. We've never won a trophy before. It's huge. Everyone has gone down there to watch Ravinelli and mainly to watch the Borough Junior. Possibly not. We've all gone down to watch Juninho at the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And Pontus Carmark man-marks Juninho for the entire game and just ruins the game. Like, <laughs> it's like it's like going to the cinema and someone screams throughout the whole show so you can't watch... It's like, what? Even the Leicester fans were there to watch Juninho and Pontus Carmark ruins it. So... Are you there? Are you actually complaining about Pontus Carmark trying to stop your players from winning a football match? You he was like... You can't have beef for that reason. <laughs> He was the anti-football that day. Like it's just like it's his job. It's not his job. <laughs> his job is to entertain, and he's done the opposite. <laughs> so, and when, when foreign players came over to the Premier League in this period, they were there to entertain, as we will come to later in this episode. Uh, and Pontus is the opposite. So mm-hmm. that that is the last time we'll mention his name on this podcast. So, catch on the subject of entertainers. I have yes. one. Yes, go on then. I've booked a Newcastle player. So this here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you who it is. I, what, the okay. one thing I will say is we've been pursuing Steve Howie. It's not Howie, and Howie has formally rebuffed our advances today. Howie is not coming okay. on the show, but I have a Newcastle player booked. We will be interviewing him. It'll probably be the next episode. I'm buzzing. Let's just say that an entertainer, a real life entertainer, is coming on the show. Mm. Well, it's about time because. You have Newcastle connections, and it's taken you to what is probably going to be our second last episode mm. of the first season to actually deliver. In a way, so, though, I've been kind of waiting to pick my player. I've been a bit, you know, I see. choosy. So um, it's like Steve Howie, Steve Howie, Howie, Steve Howie. And, yeah. and to be honest, I'm, I think this is a better a better option for us than Howie, so I'm buzzing for it. And, and also, in a, in a development that, again, I haven't told you about yet, okay. Michael Bridges. You know I've got his pen. It smells of his aftershave from 1996 Still? presentation night. Yeah. Today, I was oh contacted by someone who knows Michael and is oh, going to ask him to come on the show. Oh, Mickey Love. Mickey lives in Australia. 
So it could be a late night for us, but oh, it'll be worth ref. it. Sunderland just, player. Just, I think he just TV, doesn't he, out there? Yeah, and he, he was coaching. He played out there and he stayed out there. So if we get Mickey, great lad, time zone will be an issue, but we'll we'll get to well, that for you, listener. We will do it for you. Let, well, thinking of date dates-wise, is it post-17th of May? Uh, no restrictions? Sure. The restrictions? Do we head out there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I, I wish we could. The budget doesn't quite stretch, but uh, well, if tops are selling these two million pound cards of Harland, then yeah, maybe they should. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you, Matthew. You've finally done something. Well, um, I mean, I've got most of the players and and the player today. Uh, you know Glenn, what I mean? I've got this player today. Do you want to tell us about him? Your stepdad's got most of the players. But... No. This okay. Is, this is genuine. Okay. Contacts. Well, yeah. So today, today we have of West Ham, Mister Steve Jones. Centre forward. For those less familiar with Steve Jones, which I would put Ketch and I in that bracket, even since having interviewed him, he is the original Nico Cranchar, the original Cratchy, the original Jermaine Defoe, in that he was signed by Harry Redknapp, then sold by Harry, then signed by Harry, and then, of course, sold by Harry. So um, that gives you a bit of context as to the kind of play that we're dealing with here. Yeah. Absolutely, and just to give you an explanation of how I, I found Steve Jones, I appeared on a West Ham podcast. Um, they invited me to go on as a as a Newcastle journalist and a Newcastle fan, and I gave a little shout out for the show, and they said, "Oh, we'll see if we can sort you out with some players." And he had Steve Jones's number, sent it to me, messaged Jonesy, he's in, mint, dead easy. He was keen for it, and I was I was keen to speak to him. I think the rarer players are going to give us the better stuff, mm. so we're all excited. We've Prepped. Oh, we pumped up. Honestly, we must have done about 10 pages of, of prep. Before we do an interview, me and Richie will, will bang out a load of questions. Honestly, mm-hmm. we, there was 10 pages of, of stuff. Oh, ream, reams of it. All the foreign players, Harry Redknapp. Ah, <laughs> oh, the content. And then, so good. There's so much in there. Listen, uh, we need to apologise. <laughs> <laughs> if Steve Jones's internet connection was a football match, the referee would have abandoned it after five minutes. <laughs> In fact, I nearly did. I nearly just, Mate, I nearly just ended the he, Zoom meeting because it was just. Oh. The referee would have rolled the ball along the surface and instantly seen. <laughs> no, it's not playable. We we persevered. Well, the, the the warning signs were there when we connected to Steve. We do the interviews on on Zoom. He couldn't get his camera working, and his seven year old had to step in and help. So all, mm-hmm. straight away, I'm like, okay. It was very. It was in a very dark room. Uh, mm. He had family members around him. The internet just connection wasn't there, so he was dipping. His voice was dipping in and out. He couldn't really hear us. We couldn't really hear him. The audio was shocking. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to hear it in a bit. And it, it's, it's not, not that good. good. It's not that good, Catch. Producer Joel, he's managed to tidy it up in places, but any interjection from us would just derail the conversation, so we struggled to get any flow going. And also, uh, you made a good point, that even if the audio was perfect, Steve was speaking in an ancient cockney. So... <laughs> It was challenging. It was cha- it was a there was a language barrier. There was a language barrier, and he was to be fair, Steve. If 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 you're listening back, you were mildly you were mildly racist to Northerners at one point, but we we glossed over that. Mm. But yeah, it was a challenge. The audio wasn't great. Just persevere with the listener. It was uh, yeah yeah. I can't apologize enough. The, what I particularly enjoyed about the interview, which of course hasn't made the cut, was that going back to the prep that Ketch had done. He spent so long. And he was so excited to go through this account of a friendly match in 94 against Oxford where Harry chucks a fan on 
we've all heard a bit about it, but you were going to go into depths about it. And he goes, so, so Ketch is like, so, Jonesy, do you remember that one? He just goes, no, I didn't play. <laughs> yeah. Just, Which is devastating. Just shut you down. Because I knew <laughs> he was in the West Ham squad during that pre-season, so I was almost sure he would have played in the game that, that I'd researched. But he, he explained to us that Harry Redknapp would split the first team and send half of them to play a friendly and the other half to play another friendly on the same night. And, and he'd been sent to... Uh, Another game, not the Oxford City game, which is devastating. But if you make it to the end of the episode, I'm going to still tell the tale of this match. It's 100% worth waiting for. It's an unbelievable story that could have mm. only happened in the 1990s. And as a special treat and as a way of apologising for the Steve Jones audio hell, we've got some extra <laughs> 90s content for you that if you're listening to this show, I know you're going to love. So hang in there, listener. Richie's got some unbelievable research that he's gone and into depth with oh. um, with regards West Ham's foreign influx of, of players that arrived in East London that summer. Mm. So honestly, have a listen. See how you go with Steve Jones. Make it to the end. It'll be worth your while. In the meantime, yeah. strap your ears in. Here comes <laughs> Steve Jones. <laughs> Today we're joined by another player who featured in the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book. He was sticker number 505 and you'll find him on page 119 of the book. He made 40 top flight appearances, scoring three goals in those games and enjoyed an incredible journey from non-league to Premier League that wouldn't look out of place in a film script. We are delighted to extend a big shiny welcome to West Ham's Steve Jones. Steve, welcome to the show. Hi guys, who are We are good. Yeah, it's good to have you on Steve. Thanks very much for joining us. Steve, we kick off this podcast by asking our players if they can name the other players that are on the sticker book page from the 96-97 season. So there's 15 other West Ham stickers on your page. How many do you think you can name? Here we go. You said at the start, <laughs> you've headed a few footballs in your time. So Seven, this... I reckon. <laughs> Come on, any names then? Anyone you, you can remember? Yeah, right, here we go. Steve Potts. Yep. Yes. Paolo Foodtrade. Yep. Absolutely. Jim Baker. Yes. Do you remember your keeper? Ludek McCloscoe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Centre-arts would have been Alvin Martin still. No. Didn't have a sticker. Right. Mark Reaper would have been. Yes. Was David Burroughs there then? If he was, he didn't have a sticker. Would have been Julian Dixon, surely. Yes, of course. Obviously, so I remember the first year. I remember every player, but the second was short and sweet. Um, <laughs> Trevor Morley was still there, no? No, no. There's a few foreign players in the squad. Oh, was uh, so Brad Choi's in there? Yeah. Ilya Dimitrescu's in there? Uh, no, he's, he's just he's just gone before this. There was a the shiny player for that season was went into management. Very high profile. From overseas. Centre back. The main man. Rio? Not, Not quite. Management. Went on to manage West Ham. Managed a big club in East London for a while. <laughs> oh, Slavin Billy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what the funny thing is? I was good pals with Slav. And my boys at West Ham, uh, he's, he's, he's been there since under seven, he's still there now, under 16s. Yeah. And um, I spent a day up there. I, 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 I went up there one day and I said, uh, I've seen Slab coming out. I spoke to him. 
He went, Jonesy, come up here, spend the day up here, have some lunch and all that, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up going there. Liam loved it. Liam got like pay it shirt at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, Nobes' boots. Yeah, I mean, Adrian's gloves. So Liam, at the time, I think Liam was about, probably about nine, ten. So that was a little while ago. Mm. Uh, but it was a great, right, good day. But I got on great with Slab, so, you know I mean? That came on the back of it. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't get him. Oh, Mike Marsh weren't there then, was he? Don Hutchinson? No, he left. Mike Marsh? No, no. I think you're, you need to move onwards a bit in time there. You've gone back in time a bit too far. Um, who who would have played up front with you? I played up front on my own. That's why there's no, <laughs> no goals on there. I played, up, I played up top on my own virtually. It was hard work. I nearly scored twice at Arsenal on the opening day, but one clipped the post and one the keeper saved, and they were really. And I had a good chance that I missed as well. So if one of them would have gone in, it might have been a bit of a different story. But mm-hmm. just in that, I'm trying to think. There's- there's two Northern Irishmen, one from Lawn and one from Hatfield. Michael Hughes? Yes, Michael Hughes. Yes, both of them. Should we just fill in the blanks now, Ketch? Yeah, let's do it. Ian Dowie? I've, I've got seven or eight, that's good. Mm. You've got 13, I think. Ian Dowie yeah, and... Give me a bit of help. I'm lucky for some. <laughs> Keith Rowland was the last one, I think. I think you said Keith Rowland. Danny Williamson. I don't think Danny Williamson. Him. Danny Williamson in there. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Looking at your sticker in this book, Steve, you're a very handsome young man. By all counts, fantastic set of curtains. Did you ever get? I've actually brought them back. Fifty-one. I can still add the curtains. Why not? That's exactly what I thought. There's no no grey. Grey keeps falling out. Weird. You're looking good. I got a bit of grey in my hair, so happy days. Did you ever get mistaken for a boy band member back in the nineties? I, I did back in the day. Obviously, obviously not now. <laughs> when, the skin, when, when the skin starts to sag a bit, mate, you don't get that boy band image anymore. Fair enough. I'm looking at the West Ham shirt from that season, and it is so baggy. Why is it so baggy? Yeah, it was well baggy, yeah. I mean, even the collars are a joke. Well, right, you were back then, though, because when I went to Bournemouth, right, I had a season where we had an itchy baggy top. It was horrendous. Made by the cop. <laughs> <laughs> Made by the Cox Sport. We've thrown enough a few people have said on Twitter that shirt looks lovely, but it's the mm. most itchiest shirt I've ever worn in my life. It was, <laughs> it was embarrassing. You had to Vaseline up all over the place, otherwise you end up with burns. It probably goes for about 250 quid on eBay now as well. All right then, well let's go let's go back to your non-league days, because like I said, this um the way your career started and you were propelled to the Premier League was something out of, you know, like I'm sure this was the, the the script they based when Saturday comes on when Sean Bean goes from working in a brewery in Sheffield United to uh, playing for Sheffield United against Man United. You started at Basildon working in a soap factory. I was playing in Basildon United Reserves um, and I got a bit disillusioned. The first team had loads of money and they weren't doing very well either. Tony Mahoney was playing for them. They had a few like, players that had dropped down out of the leagues on big dough. And all of a sudden, the guy that ran it pulled the plug as they do in non-league on the money. So a whole team left, the manager left, and a guy called Willie Carrick took over. And he was my reserve team manager, but I'd left the reserves because I'd had enough of it, really. And uh, he ran me up and said, you fancy a couple of games? And I went, yeah, 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 cool. Uh, so I went down, had a couple of games. I think, I don't remember the exact 
counts really, but I probably I would have scored twenty five in seven or eight games. I would have fought. Twenty five in seven or eight games. I would have thought so. It would have been close to that. I scored two against Southend tonight when they come down pre-season. Uh, Gary Bennett scored five for them, funny enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And then Peter Braybrook uh, obviously took me to Billericay Town. And then obviously my record's kind of up there, I think, with Billericay. I don't know the full SP. I think I've got 85 goals in 60 games, something like that. I'm not overly sure, but and then, uh, and it was crazy, really, because there was a few clubs after me. Dave Bassett's, uh, to be fair, I was very wet behind the ears. And I, I weren't really a trainer. I was, I, I'd done well when I played games because I worked so hard. I was quick. And, and training that, to me at the time, I'd never been coached. It was hard work. You know what I mean? It was really hard work. Dave Bassett invited me up to Sheffield. And I went up there for a trial for a week. We're playing with two reserve games on the on the Tuesday and the Thursday, and I turned up on the Monday and I trained with them on top of a fucking freezing cold hill, mate. If you if you Google Sheffield United's previous training ground, yeah. it was. I remember I, I can't remember who the guy was the centre half. Um, he, he said Jonesy, he chucked me a big jacket on and said, "Make sure you bring this with you." So obviously mm. I was from down south, mm. used to the sunshine. You no, know, <laughs> unlike you boys. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, the, the crazy thing about that was after the first day's training session, Bassett called me in the office and he said to me, Look, Steve, I'm only getting here for training, mate. You ain't playing no games. And like, I, I let it sink in. I didn't really say nothing to him. I just said, oh, I'll turn up tomorrow for training. And when I got back to the hotel that I was standing in for the week, I just thought, Do you know what? He's fuck, that's a fucking insult for some reason. And, um, and I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Maybe he was going to sign me. I don't know. But I just got on the, uh, on the train the next day and come home. Okay. And that was it. it was a bit, bit bizarre, really. You know, it, it was uh, very unlike me because obviously I wanted to be a professional football football mm. all my life. So it must have been a bad vibe for me up there for me to want to come back <laughs> after the day. <laughs> it's probably Dave Bassett in the year. Mm. I was only there a day. You know what I mean? So, uh, and then South End tried to sign me. Dave Webb and I think it was then, I'm trying to think of the other name. Colin Murphy was the managers. And uh, uh, I don't want to speak bad of him, of course, because he, he, God rest his soul, he's dead now. And then Vic Jobson, the South End chairman, blocked it and said I weren't good enough. It was on the back pages of the Echo. I had a guy in the Echo as well who wrote for me, a guy called Dick Marshall, who was like, didn't write for me for local football and he just loved me. He would have me on the front page because I was scoring like an action after action and stuff like that. He, he was uh, beside with it really. And he, he kind of helped me out a bit because he put me on the local page which probably alerted other people as well. So, and, and it, uh, he's passed away now as well because rest of so he was a fantastic fella. And then all of a sudden I, I went for a trial game at West Ham. I scored against Millwall in the reserves uh, and then I tore my hamstring and I it kind of petered out a little bit and it didn't look like I was going to go there. And then West Ham sent the team to uh, Ricky. I think what happened was Redknapp took one side to so-and-so and he sent another side to so-and-so and he'd split the reserves at the first team and all that. And, um, I remember, I think Paul Hilton was involved with the West Ham guys. Obviously, when they got back in, in, in the next the Monday, 
read that the last year, right? And I only that boy Jonesy do. And obviously I scored four and he drew five, five. And I scored two welders. You know, <laughs> I think from that from that day, that was it was virtually now what I was going there, you know. And Frank, I remember Frank Lamar Senior, uh, fantastic fella, love him to death. He come and watched me for about seven or eight games. The last game he watched me, he played Wembley away in a, in a non-league game on a Tuesday night freezing. Uh, it would have been Novemberish time. You know, I had a shocker. And I was right down hard as I was walking off because I knew he was watching there. And uh, as I was walking off, he just went, uh, called me and then just winked at me as if to say, right, obviously you're, you're going to sign now. And then I signed on the Thursday and was sub on the Saturday. Guys, it's mad how fast it can happen like that, isn't it? I mean, it, obviously you've you've grafted for however long, but to go from signing to being a sub that quickly and to, from being non-league to a professional that quickly, that must have been, felt like a big step. The hardest thing was training, really, because obviously players, there was players like played for England and that. And I'd, made, I'd never even been coached. Peter Braybrook had me for a year, but you're never going to improve someone that much in a year. Obviously, improve my game, but you're never going to improve someone. You, you need two or three years to get, two years to get up to the pace of it to put some body weight on, to get stronger, this, that and the other. And luckily enough, I had a decent career. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it was good really. So, no, no, it was, it was crazy. It was cra- I couldn't really believe it was happening myself. Moving into 93, 94 then, you go into the, the Premier League and it's glitz and glamour, Sky TV cameras. A couple of interesting games you were involved with. The Norwich game, first time the Bobby Moore lower tier had been open and, and you uh, had a quite interesting game. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, I remember that game. Well, that's probably my best game I played for West Ham, I would have thought. He scored. Ludo, funny enough, who never had many bad games, had a shocker. Oh, yeah? If you, if you watch the video, he let two, two really weak goals go out by score by his son. The time was on fire and Rule Fox, I think, scored the other. Mm. Um, I think Sutton scored first. Martin Allen equalised. I scored the second. Sutton scored, made it 2-2. Wolf Fox made it 3-3. And then I'll probably put in one of the best crosses I did after a nice bit of skill on the right. And Trevor Morley scored with his first touch. Made that it 3-3. Yeah. That is exactly what happened. I was, a very player, I was the first West... It's a, it's a good memory, that one. I mm. was the first West Ham player to in front of the Bobby Moore stand. Amazing. I always... I, I use that one. I love it. <laughs> that is, it's a good one to bring out in the pub actually it's a good one you've already mentioned Julian Dix he's an interesting player for a number of reasons he was fantastic he was captain of West Ham um, went to Liverpool had international recognition Richie's been trying to get him on the show and has been negotiating with Julian's daughter <laughs> and I wondered if that was wise to, to go down that route is, 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 do you think Julian will be okay with that? I think it is. Probably is. Okay. You know, I mean, it probably is. So, but uh, <laughs> I would, wouldn't surprise me if Dixie would do it. Dixie's all right. If I see him, see him, I've seen him twice in the last month walking, walking the baby. He's got a new baby. Oh, okay. So I had a quick chat with him and all that. But you know what I mean. So he's is starting he? on league. He's, he's, I think he's about to. He's still over Aby Swift again, isn't it, or someone. Okay. Is with with Julian. Was it his bark worse than his bite? He looks a bit scary, but was he? I assume he's a nice guy. Yeah, he was a nice guy, and Dixie's one of them really. You couldn't, I don't know, he only had to look at it to think, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I 
He's one of them, he's one of them sort of people. He didn't, he didn't say he wasn't a shouter and a baller. You know what I mean? He had some crazy warming up bars, bars in the bath and all that before he played. Never went out and trained, uh, warmed up. He had some uh, crazy ideas, but mate, that was Dixie. That's, mm. You know what I mean? You can't, if someone would have won the best left foots in the country and should be down for England, you don't, you wouldn't even think about questioning their routine. You know, they could have come in smoking. Tenth fag after fag, you know, and or, in that era it didn't really matter if your performances were on the pitch. That's what mattered really. And obviously, every time he played, he played with a bit of a, and he was aggressive. He wouldn't. I'm not saying he wouldn't survive now, but he'd have more red cards. <laughs> so that's how he liked to warm up Mars bars in the bath before the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coke as well, I think. Okay. A couple of cans of coke. No, a couple of cans, not... Yeah, okay. Okay. It was the 90s. That's a story, that. (laughs) Another player I'm really keen to hear about, because I've heard he's a real character, is John Moncur. To be honest, Monk's give you a bit... Monk's uh, banter-wise, at the time when I turned up, was probably the best in the game. Now, I mean, I found him a bit hard to deal with, because I was new to the game, and... I would have probably took offence to anything he said, so it was hard work for me, but funny, funny guy. And now, we're both ambassadors for West Ham, so, you know what I mean? I see him on a regular occasion, lovely fella, top guy. His boy's done well as well. Mm. So, you know what I mean? He was, uh, he was one of the character monks. Another, another English player, he doesn't have a sticker, but I'm interested in him. Ian Bishop, uh, you know, long hair, touch of class, natural talent. Living in Florida with a parrot now. A parrot? Yeah, read an article. He does a West Ham thing, doesn't he, where he talks every week. And yeah. I've, I've seen this. I'll get on great with this. Top man, mate. Top man. Um, Good player. I've seen, yeah, great player. Very underrated. I think he's got my five goals, and I think he sets up for everything. Tell us about Florin Rodich, are you? No, no, the worst, the worst. The biggest fan of a trainer I've ever seen. Driving all over Moaning about everything, mate. Couldn't go near him. If he touched his shirt, mate, he'd go down and have a whinge up. You know what I mean? But a talented player, obviously. Uh, didn't really do that great for West Ham, really. Considering mm. his price tag. What's his record? You know? I've got it. So he won the Champions League with Milan. He had a good season at Espanyol. Scores Romania's only goal in United Six and Redknapp signs him for West Ham. Criticised by Harry Redknapp for going shopping with his wife at Harvey Nichols. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Oh, that funny enough, that was Stockpool, wasn't it? The way in the cup. It could have been, yeah. He lost Ian Dowell's own goal. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> I was going to come to that. <laughs> Absolute peach. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what it's like strikers when they get in their box at times, they lose their brain a bit. Now, I think he lost it to the lights. <laughs> and yeah. obviously, where he was used to heading towards goal, it was a, it was a gem. It was a power. Yeah. It was a top top header. Yeah. You ain't getting near that postage stamp. <laughs> in Redknapp's autobiography, he mentions that Julian Dix was anxious to get stuck into Valachoy to see what he was made of. Uh, I mean, that I, I don't sound I don't like the sound of that. I have to say, if I'm Valachoy, you. I would disagree with that. Dixie got stuck in with everyone, and, and not not dangerous. Not dangerous at all. If he's going to block tackle, yeah, he's going to block tackle with all his effort. 
he ain't gonna fight Fanny and then drop his leg away, is he? Mm. You know, what I mean, that's Dixie. Dix, he won't. He won't. He was never dirty in training. I don't think. Radachoyu went on to say in, in an interview a few years later that Julian Dix is an ex- extravagant guy. Sometimes before a game, the players would go out to warm up and Julian would still be in the bathtub listening to music. I think it was his way of preparing for a match. Probably the best player I played with at West Ham. So, obviously, high praise from Radachoyu for Dix. Yeah, and obviously he didn't kick him that hard, did he? Yeah. <laughs> um, right, let's let's talk about Paolo Futre because he was sort of the big signing of that summer. He, me, like, I got great with him. We done pre-season. And he, he obviously was here, and like, he was really top quarter. There's an article on the the West Ham website by Sid Lambert, who runs a really good Twitter account uh, at Sid underscore Lambert. A funny old game, great nineties football Twitter account. And Sid writes how the Portuguese passed the medical that he took remains one of mankind's greatest mysteries. Hundreds of years from now, historians will ponder images of Bigfoot. The Loch Ness Monster and Paolo Futre's X-ray. So he he was damaged goods by the time he arrived at West Ham. Basically, his knee was fucked back then. <laughs> gone, gone, totally gone, mate. All over it. And he was still he had a, he still had a bit. It was all over. But once again, he still managed to produce that performance. He still managed to show me the cone thing, and and even like one what a great thing and nothing. But I was like, I was watching. I was just like. Well, joy at the floor. Mm. Another occasion when I was playing up Clive Allen, I've, I've done a few months with Clive, and to be fair, Clive helped me out a lot. And he used to, he went down, just go and do some finishing. He used to, he used to have your back turned to goal, 25, 30 yards out, throw the boy with half volley, volley, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? In my later career, how much did that help me? I scored like five or six. I scored like Peterborough performed with like a 30 yard scissor kick that I flipped over my shoulder. That if it weren't for that session that Clive Allen did for a continuous amount of months, I probably wouldn't have done that. Mm. So it, it definitely improved me. And, and once again, it does improve your training. But the Paolo cone thing, I couldn't believe he didn't touch a cone. Mm. And he's got, he's got one knee as well. Incredible. Both feet. I was a right foot. I was going around the houses. Okay, listener, you've made it to half time in Steve Jones. That is no mean feat. We applaud your staying power. It's not the easiest audio, but there is some good stuff in, in part two, trust me. And we've got some brilliant 90 stuff coming up at the end. So hang in there. It's going to be all right. This show, as you know, is brought to you by Tops Match Tax. Without them, there would be no Searching for Shinies podcast and there would be no 1997 sticker book either because they are Merlin. Tops bought Merlin at the end of the 90s. I bring this up in most episodes and, and you don't seem excited by that, Richie. So, you know, come yeah. on, be bothered about that. We yeah. are playing for the Tops team. Mm. <laughs> They've kitted us out with merchandise and we've been rolling back the years this season by doing the 2020-2021 Champions League sticker book. It's been amazing. You're never too old to collect football cards or stickers. Are you, Richie? Just no, ask. correct. Phil Foden. Oh, Phil. Tell me about Phil Foden. So this is a story that I've uh, read online recently on Sports Illustrated. And I think you're going to be interested to hear about what Foden's been up to. The headline of this is, I think he's got about four on the go. Oh, Phil no. Foden's mum and girlfriend reveal Man City star's hobby away from the pitch. Oh, no, Phil. Bear with me. <laughs> it's by This is by Freddie Pye. It's an interesting name. So Freddie writes... <laughs> 
Phil Foden's girlfriend and mother have both opened up on the Manchester City forward's surprise obsession and hobby away from the football pitch during an eye-opening article from The Telegraph into the personal life of the rising 20-year-old. Foden has scored vital match-winning goals against the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool in Premier League victories away from home, as well as at the Emirates Stadium against Arsenal in the Carabao Cup, and most recently in the home-and-away legs of the Champions League quarter-final clash against Borussia Dortmund. This is from April 2021, this article. But while he may be writing all the headlines with his performances on the pitch, it may come as a refreshing change for fans to get to know Foden and his life away from the TV cameras, as the Telegraph gained an understanding of one of the City Star's favourite hobbies. Speaking to James Ducker of the Telegraph, Phil Foden's girlfriend and mother have revealed that the Stockport-born forward is addicted to collecting football stickers Uh as well as match attacks cards. Get in there, Phil. He is obsessed with these stickers at the moment, says his girlfriend, Becca Cook. We'd been to the zoo this week and I popped into Morrison's on the way home and had to ring him because I saw they had a big box of stickers there. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be driving along and he's like, stop, they sell stickers there. Go on, Beck. Can you nip into that shop and get me every pack they've got? I don't want them to know it's me. Foden's mother, Claire, continued by telling the Telegraph about the time when she was in touch with her son while he was away on international duty with England. Me and his dad FaceTimed him when he was away with England last month and he sat in his room doing his sticker books. I think he's got about four on the go. Ah. Stickers, match attacks cards. It's hysterical. (laughs) It's a good thing. Don't get me wrong, but that's how obsessed he is about football. I mean, <laughs> what a Phil, man! I just, yeah, I mean, what number one? What a player! Uh, he's unbelievable football. He's got a ceiling of Phil Foden is frightening, but I love that he's just got the stickers out. Mm, I think there's a couple of things I'm going to take away from that. Firstly, when you say he's got four on the go, I panicked. <laughs> Delighted to hear it's stickers, etc. Secondly, when you were voicing Phil, you're aware he's not eight years old. Well, mm, yeah. <laughs> what a player, though. He's just. It was passion. He's passionate about yeah. collecting stickers. He probably, if he listens to a podcast, it's probably ours. Oh, he does listen. So, he does. How yeah. you doing, Phil? Well done, Phil. Keep up the keep up good work, Phil. If you yeah. want to do some swaps, you know where we are. Ex- oh, yeah. Well, I need it, Ketch, because I've opened up all my stickers now, and I've got tons of swaps, and I, I need to fill the book. So, tell me, how are you getting on with your stickers? Oh, man. I mean, out of 50 packs, I've done less than 10, which is, I know, oh. pathetic. The reason is... You know, I don't want to just do some stickers in this 10-minute window. I want to sit for, you know, one hour, five hours mm. and do all the stickers in one go and just have a really great time rolling back the years, stickering, working out my swaps, and then me and you can sit down and uh, actually do some prop swaps because I haven't got any swaps yet. So what I might do this weekend is, got a bit of time off work, Yeah, I might do a little time-lapse video of me doing all the stickers and I'll pop it on our social media platforms on Twitter where we need to produce a bit of content and all our followers can Catch, catch, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. That sounds cack. It our, does, doesn't it? Our <laughs> listeners will not be watching that, I can assure you right now. So, Well, <laughs> you know... We need some content, so I'm going to throw it up there and, you know, we'll let the followers decide. Okay. Well, hopefully one or two of them will listen and watch, but I very much doubt that. So let's get back to the reason we're all here. Strap yourselves in, listeners. My advice would be put some headphones in, sit very, very still. That helps. And listen to Steve Jones. So how did it come to an end with, with West Ham then? Because obviously that season they signed Kitson and Hartson about the same time and I can remember them hitting the ground running. I went before they come. Basically, uh, uh, I had, a knee, I had a, knee, a knee problem from when I was at Bournemouth and it continued. It got worse during that season. I think I played five, six games, then I, five games, then I come back 
and got back into the after in the operation and scored a couple of reserve games on the bench. Uh, obviously, Kirk, Alan Kerbs are coming for me, a big half a million, and being Harry, being Harry, 300 grand profit. See you later. Well, 250, yeah, 50. Probably <laughs> <laughs> <Funny joke. laughs> Always don't yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Charlton then. Um, particularly interested in the uh, '98 playoff final game that you were heavily involved in. For 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 listeners who don't remember, you know what you do and listen to this podcast. But it was a four-four draw that went to penalties. Charlton won seven-six. I'm interested as a Newcastle fan. Obviously, you played Sunderland. Um, Sunderland and Charlton could be involved in the playoffs again this year. That we're recording this 2021. Talk to us about that day. It's obviously a huge, huge day in football league history. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a crazy day, really. I, I, it was a bit of a crazy season. I started the season really well, scored a few goals, um, done well. Yeah, I looked a bit fit in form. And Paul uh, would come in from the line. Uh, and I went there, which was a bit bizarre, really. Uh, I scored five, I think, in four games on loan or something like that. And then I'd come back. And, uh, we played Man City away. Uh, I was sub. Uh, come on at half time, it was 1 0 down, I think. I scored a 25 yard volley. And then I scored Mark White setting up a really good goal. We drew 2 2. And then from the rest of that season, really, um, I, I had a few times I was sub. Obviously, I played the semis, but I was dropped for the final in front of Brighton for experience, which was a bit disappointing. But these things happen. I was fortunate. Yeah, I was playing to be fair that Sunderland scored because at 1 0, I was never getting on. You know what I mean? So I was begging Sunderland to score and they, they applied with two goals and then I was straight on. So that led to the, uh, me playing the majority of the second half and the whole of extra time. So it was, um, and I scored a few winners, Swindon away, Portsmouth at home, uh, Oxford. I, I scored a few winners in the run up to that when we had a great run. So Really good times, really. We had a great side at the time. We weren't conceding goals, and uh, it was top draw. It was great, great times. Obviously, when it culminates to such a, a great occasion like that, and, and which it was, it you know, what I mean, obviously the final was electric. I've never seen, and I still, I still speak to Clive this day, and I, I always send him photos. So I've got a memorabilia business as well, and I always get to sign loads of stuff because they continually sell. <laughs> Tell us about Clive then, because he's famously from Wearside, but scored the goals that denied Sunderland promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, Clive, I was like, we, obviously I speak to him. When he scored the penalty, he, he'd done the guns, and he says to me, and he's apologised to Sunderland fans. He's, um, he said to me, Jones, I just, it was one of the worst things I ever did. I, I, I don't know why I did it. Probably because the tension and all that. You know what I mean? But he, mate, he's back in Sunderland now. He works at Nissan, you know what I mean? So there's no hard feelings there, but mate, that day he was incredible. And I was lucky to have a hand in two of the goals, you know, but it was, it was an incredible day, an incredible hat trick, an incredible ending. But I was next to take the penalty. So, wow. which was, I was, and that's why when you see when you see Michael Gray miss, I dive on the tinker straight away because I'm walking. I was at the edge of the box when he missed it. Uh, so I'm the first were... on the tinker. You were the most relieved man in Wembley. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was nervous, nervous, nervous. Well, I, 
Jones asked me if I wanted a penalty, and I said, no, I don't want to be in the first five. And he went, Jonesy, you're going to be number eight. He said, I'm putting the goalkeeper in the two centre-halves. Uh, basically, being top man like Curbs was. Because I said no, he obviously knew I didn't like it. weren't for me at the time and, and, and left me to eight. But funny enough, it didn't come to me. But who knows, I would have scored it. You can't mm. you never know what's going to happen on a penalty shootout. If Stuart Pearce can miss a penalty and Chris Waddle, we all can. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about the latter part of your career then. Do you, you went back to Bournemouth for what your tenth spell? I left uh, Charlton for Bristol City and uh, did okay. Scored a few goals, uh, and then got a bad injury, and that was it. Really, I think I scored. I scored three in about eighteen in the first stint, and I was overweight and eating too much and having too much of a good life. And then I went back and done really well. Scored, I think, eighty nine. Played out front with Tony. Thought we was top of the table. And I tore the hamstring off the bone, and that was kind of the, uh, the downward to the end of it, really. Which mm. was quite young, really, for age 29. So, but it was a bad injury. So, and I had the opportunity to go back down to Norway, you know, some good money around here. So, that's what I did. So, it saved Bristol City a lot of money, and also it sorted me out as well, you know. We do have one final question. We ask everyone who comes on the show this, Steve. We are searching for shinies the the sticker book podcast the shinies was the sticker that everyone wanted who was your shiny player so this is the best player you played with or against during your football career I didn't play a lot with him but I'll say Paolo Futre okay Paolo Futre your European football of the year twice and I'll see what I see with no knees Wow, there we have it then. Steve Jones, if you made it this far, you are a true Searching for Shiny fan. You're part of an elite club. You're a shiny listener. We want to reward you with some top shiny 1990s banter. Richie, what have you got for me? Well, first of all, I'll be amazed if anyone has stuck around, but for those that have, thank you very much. What I wanted to do as part of the podcast was to go through some of this stuff with Steve Jones. I did attempt a couple of times, but I couldn't understand anything he was saying back to me, so... I thought we'd, we'd save it for the outro. So what I want to do is just reflect on some of the foreign players that were snapped up by West Ham in this period. And on a previous episode, I read out something from a Premier League annual, which Jimmy Greaves wrote, where he talked about how well West Ham had done to get their business done before Euro 96, before prices were inflated after the tournament, uh, when he said that the likes of Man United had messed up by signing Cruyff, Poborski and Solskjaer. Uh, what they should have done was get their business done early, a la West Ham. So... I've got a string of players here that were signed in either before United Six or around that time, um, and I just want to run them by you, catch and get your, yeah. your get your thoughts. So I'm going to start off with Portuguese player Danny. Mm. Um, so West Ham signed Portuguese striker and male model, prompting then assistant manager Harry Redknapp to quip, "Danny's so good looking." No, hang on, that's not Redknapp, is it? I'll just <laughs> shall I just do it in my voice. Danny's so good looking. I don't know whether to play him or make love to him. Now, I'm paraphrasing there. That's not quite what Redknapp said, but yeah, I don't do expletives. So. Um, from an article in 2017, I've got this bit. Here we had a player who's already a male model and who wouldn't have looked out of place in any of the boy bands that were popular at that time. Indeed, his permatanned features, chiseled cheekbones and jet black hair was a polar opposite look of his strike partner, Ian Dowie. Affectionately labelled Beauty and the Beast in the tabloids. Now, catch... What has Ian Dowie done to deserve that? Well, we know. 
We know what they're getting at. But continue. Well, that, it takes me back to my own playing days, Matthew. I used to play up front for my local team on Saturdays in a free roll, in the ten dog, as it's known. And a local lad joins the team and he's rapid. He's not a gifted footballer by any stretch, but he's unbelievably quick. So in his first game, the team talk um, is given by the manager. So he goes like this. He goes, boys, today we've got Gibbo joining Rich up front. Let's use Gibbo's pace. You know, with Rich, it's like chalk and cheese. So I've been rinsed for being slow out of nowhere. And that's well, it. you are you are the Ian Dowie of Sunday League. So. Well, I'm, I'll tell you what's more insulting. <laughs> I'm insulted that you've referred to me as Ian Dowie. More so Sunday League. Come on, mate. You right. you said it yourself. Saturday. You, you, you've Saturday. Empathising. Yeah, sorry, well, Saturday. That's eight years ago and I still have the Mickey taken out of me now. So I, I empathise with Ian Dowie. It's bang out of order. So anyway, uh-huh. back to Danny. Danny. He was on loan at the club, but Redknapper sacked him after he was spotted in the nightclub. A mid-season break in Spain sealed his fate. So... He'd been given permission to leave the team hotel one afternoon. He hadn't reported back from training the following morning. And then in Redknapp's book, he goes on to say, Come 1.30pm, there was still no sign of him. We were relaxed by the pool. Suddenly there's his tanned figure walking towards us, hair immaculate, sunglasses on, every inch the film star. He couldn't, or rather wouldn't, give me an explanation. All the lads knew he'd picked up a bird, maybe even two or three, but there's no way he's going to tell me. Danny was eventually given the presenting role of the Portuguese version of Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> of course he was. So Brilliant. that's so that's that's number one, Danny. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a theme here with Harry's signings, uh, which I'm mm. sure that you'll you'll establish. We're going to move on to Ili Dumitrescu. Ah. So Spurs signed Dumitrescu first in 1994 after the World Cup in USA, but after claims of let's call it extracurricular activity, he's loaned to Sevilla in Spain. They could have signed him. But they didn't want to pay the money. So, naturally, in December '96, Harry comes a knock in for 1.5 million. The problem mm. is, he's played a, only played a few games before his work permit is revoked for not playing enough matches over the last couple of seasons. So they've had to let him go, and he's gone to Club America in Mexico. Dumitrescu now runs an art gallery in Bucharest. So, he's two for two there with these foreign players. It's not quite gone to plan as yet. Um, I'm going to move on to Florin Radichoyu. Now, Radichoyu mm. did get a mention in the in the podcast that you'll have just heard. If you could understand what was being said, we did talk a bit about Radichoyu. Um, I'm just going to touch on him very briefly because Radichoyu was convinced by Romanian teammate Dumitrescu to sign for West Ham. Dumitrescu has sold him the dream. He sells him the dream, then he himself moves to Mexico. So, cheers to that one, Illy. Uh, Radichoyu, despite showing early promise, he never adapted to the pace of the competitive nature of the English game, making no real impact at Upton Park. Having fallen out with manager Redknapp, he was transferred back to Espanyol, having scored just two goals in the Premier League. Well, so that's three. Mm. It's not going too well so far. <laughs> Who you got next? I'm going to jump next to Javier Margas. Now, Javier Margas, I've taken this from um, an interview Redknapp did uh, on BT Sport, which made me laugh out loud. So I thought I'd just... I've taken the transcript from that and thought I'd read a bit of that out to you. Redknapp states, I went to the World Cup to watch him play. Fantastic. What a competitor. I go and watch him at Wembley. He doesn't give Michael Owen a kick. He is fantastic. I sign him, bring him to West Ham. Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Redknapp goes on to mention the lack of aftercare for overseas players, uh, as Vargas didn't speak any English, nor did his wife. Um... Anyway, it's not going well for Vargas, so Redknapp and Peter Story go to see him at his hotel. 
he won't open the door. They eventually, they go down to reception, speak to security, they eventually go to let him in the room to find Vargas has taken his passport, jumped out of the first floor window and hopped on a plane back to Chile. I mean, how much do you not want to play for West Ham? Yeah, so that's Vargas. <laughs> and I'm going to finish with a player that um, we heard that Steve Jones has a lot of admiration for, Paolo mm. Futre. Now, yes. Jones talked quite a bit in the interview about a, a training drill, which we allude to slightly in the podcast, if you can hear it, where they've basically, him and Paolo yeah. Futre have gone for a kickabout after training. They've put some cones out, and on, on the strength of that drill, Paolo Futre is his shiny player, which is fair dues. Mm. So, this is a bit longer, this bit. Dubbed as the Portuguese Maradona, 160-odd games for Atletico Madrid in the early 90s, club captain. Okay, so he's big time. He then starts picking up the injuries and ultimately becomes surplus to requirements at Madrid, then joins Benfica in 1993, plays 11 games, then moves to Marseille, also in 1993, for eight games, then joins Reggiana in Italy in 1993 for 13 games. The guy's passport is more worn than our 97 sticker book catch. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's, he's clocking up some air miles there all in one year. Somehow he ends up at Milan, and in his 79 minutes of game time that season... He does enough to impress Harry Redknapp. Mm. Um, so he's played 33 games in three seasons for four clubs, and Harry comes a knock in. <laughs> um, we alluded to Sid Lambert and his article in the podcast. Yeah. A, bit, a bit more from that now. It says, In the days before the internet and Wikipedia, information on overseas leagues was limited to five minutes on transworld sport in between kabaddi and windsurfing. Thus, unbeknownst to Hammers fans, the Palo Futre on his way to the Premier League was not the Palo Futre of old. After a decade of being crippled by some of Europe's most feared hatchet men, the playmaker's joints had all the structural resilience of a packet of quavers. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Jonesy said that he had no knees left, uh, mm. and that rings true there. But there's one story which we didn't get into with Jones. I mean, we did, but yeah. it got cut. And that is the story of the number 10 shirt, Matthew. Yeah. So, basically, when signing him, Redknapp has agreed to let Futre have the number 10 shirt in his contract, which is, at that time, being worn by John Moncur. I don't know how it's happened, whether Redknapp sneaked it into the small print, but he has agreed to let him wear the number 10 shirt in pre-season. So, mm-hmm. you can imagine, in the dressing room, first game of the season, they're at Arsenal, and by the way, Radachoyu and Dimitrescu haven't made the matchday squad. That's another point. Uh, Futre goes into the dressing room and sees his name assigned to the number 16 shirt. So he's he's absolutely fuming. Yeah. There's an article on the West Ham page. It goes, West Ham would start the season with 10 men unless Redknapp could find a solution. Because he was so annoyed. Even better, find a scapegoat. So Redknapp marches into the referee's office and did the decent thing. He blames on a member of his coaching staff, who'd forgotten his glasses and mistaken Paolo Futre, one of the most famous names in world football, for Stevie Jones, our centre-forward from Billericay. The match official, unaware that Futre was now halfway to his hotel in Canary Wharf, accepted the excuse. Steve couldn't remember that. Anyway, Futre... I think that's being exaggerated for poetic license. You know, him driving away from the stadium. Easily not happened, but... Okay, well, you know, gone on the back of what I've just heard about the other foreign players. I wouldn't rule it out. I believe um, Steve, but continue. All right, to continue this then. So Futre and Monka have eventually agreed a swap deal for the shirt. So Futre is going to wear number 10. It's cost him giving Moncur um, free access to his home in the Algarve, where he can go and play golf whenever he wants. So, I just want to ask you this, catch. Imagine if you're Palo Futre, and you happen to wear a 16 shirt, and you're that angry that you give away you know, access to your home in the Algarve. 
he would be fuming if he knew that Mark Reaper was the overseas shiny on the West Ham page. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Should we, should, uh, <laughs> if we should, get him on, let's not mention that. I, I don't know. I think we go for him. <laughs> so just to f- close out on Futre, he did play a few games. He got going. Uh, uh, he shone against Southampton, apparently, at Upton Park, um, a game in which Benali was sent off for trying to decapitate him. Sadly, his West Ham career peaked there, only featured in seven games before Christmas, largely from the bench. Injuries mm. finally caught up with him. Um, and to close the loop, he did make the headlines again in 2000, 2015, you'll be pleased to hear, starring mm-hmm. in a Japanese TV commercial for Viagra. I mean, I thought I thought with his knees it'd been stiff enough, but anyway. Oh, so, oh that's that's a shame. Insert drum beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, great. I mean, that's amazing. What a cast of characters. Yeah, and so, also I applaud you the research. Just goes to show you, listener, the amount of detail we go into when we're researching. The tragedy is that we weren't able to go through that forensically with Steve Jones due to technical issues and the language barrier that we encountered when we interviewed. Steve. So <laughs> it was it was. A, re- a real shame, but hopefully we've given you a, a flavour of it there. Mm. I did a bit of research as well and came up with what I thought was a, a fantastic tale that I, I really hoped Steve would be able to elaborate on, but he informed us that he wasn't at the game. He'd been dispatched mm. to another my, friend. It was my favourite part of the interview. Yeah, it was brilliant. I, I really gave it the big <laughs> end and he just went, nah, I wasn't at that one. But I think it's such an amazing story. I want to share it with you now, listen, in case you're not aware of this. So take yourselves back to the pre-season 1994, post-World Cup, West Ham have sent a first-team squad, or half the first-team squad, as we discovered, to Oxford City away. Not United, Oxford City. And their fan, Steve Davis, a courier from Milton Keynes, has ended up playing 45 minutes for West Ham after berating Lee Chapman. Called him a donkey. Phenomenal. And he's ended up on the pitch. So I'm going to explain how that happened. And uh, this article, by the way, is... I've taken this from... um, It's online, available at uh, theguardian.com. It's from 2013. I'll post a link on our Twitter account. And it originally appeared in Howler magazine, which is an American magazine. It's written by a guy called Jeff Mace. I actually know Jeff. I did a bit of work experience at Loaded magazine. Sup, Jeff? Around about 2007, and Jeff was there. Great writer, very interesting guy. Moved out to America, writes about all sorts. He's written some stuff for The Athletic. He sold a few screenplays, specializes in long form and, and, and interesting stories. And this is his. He's, he's tracked this fan down, mm. which I'm going to br- briefly give you it now. Can we hear more about Jeff first, or? Uh, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Link in the I'll put a link in the description, did you? It's okay. fantastic work. <laughs> this is the, this is the story. There's a guy next to the dugout, Harry Redknapp recalled, and he's got a West, he's got West Ham tattooed all over his arms and neck. He's got the earrings, and after two minutes, he started on me. We ain't got that Chapman up front, do we? I ain't coming back every week if he's playing, said Harry, doing an impersonation of Steve Davis, a West Ham fan, watching on. Half time, I made five substitutions. We only had the bare eleven out. I was running out of players. Then we got another injury, so I said to the guy in the crowd, "Oi." Can you play as good as you can talk? <laughs> so the guy climbs over the barrier and follows Redknapp up the tunnel into the West Ham dressing room. I asked him, what size boots are you? Redknapp recalls. The kit manager brought Steve a shirt. <laughs> so <laughs> Steve says, I got a few touches, including a pass from Alvin Martin. I remember he called out my name in his scouse accent. I was blown away. Stevie, he shouted, and he sent the ball <laughs> pinging to my feet. It had such pace on it, it nearly knocked me over. <laughs> By the way, Stevie had had two beers in the first half and been smoking, right? <laughs> and Redknapp's given 45 minutes away to Oxford City. Steve, Stevie continues, suddenly we were on the attack. The ball went wide. I'm sure it was Matty Holmes on the wing and we pushed forward. I had two defenders in front of me and I was just sprinting forward, I think. He didn't purposely <laughs> split the defenders. Neither was marking him tightly and Steve flew forward fast out the traps. He picked up the ball from Holmes and a clumsy first touch took him and the ball into the penalty area. Come on, Steve. Suddenly, 
Thousands of eyes were upon him as he escaped the pack. I just hit it, said Steve with a shrug. I hit it like nothing else. Know what I mean? I belted it. The ball whistled low, past the outstretched hand of the Oxford keeper, and ran into the bottom corner of the goal. Get his Steve says he, he wheeled away in celebration, arms extended, head bent with disbelief. On the side of the field, Redknapp turned around and looked briefly to the heavens. <laughs> it was like time stopped still. It was the greatest moment of my life, says Steve. Somewhere in the crowd, his mates, Baza and Chunk, were losing their minds. <laughs> Steve had scored on his West Ham debut. Right, now this this story, I've, I've left it. There's a bit of a twist at the end, which I've left out. You'll have to go and read the full article. But this actually happened, right? I remember reading this when I was a kid in the sun, uh, the day after it happened. Harry Redknapp brings a fan on the pitch and gives him 45 minutes. I didn't realise he'd scored, but there is there is a little twist to that. But the, it's 100% true. I'm going to put a link to the Guardian article in our Twitter page. I mean, that is unbelievable. It could have only happened in the 90s. Mm. I'm keen to hear about Bazaar and Chunk as well. They sound like characters. <laughs> but can you legends. imagine, right? You've gone, to a, you've gone to a friendly. You're a big West Ham fan. You've had a few pints. You've had a, a bit of a smoke. And, you, and Redknapp's gives you a kit and puts you on and you do 45 minutes and you put a ball in the back of the net. Well, he's, he's got a better record than Danny Radichoyu Dimitrescu Futre Amargas, <laughs> so he's doing something right. Unbelievable. Just love that. Mm. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. It's an interesting one, but, you know, the search continues. We move on. We promise the next audio will be much better oh. and I think it's going to be a Newcastle player, so I'm massively excited. Mm. Um, listeners, stay with us. Do you know a player from the 1997 sticker book? The full book is scanned on our website, searchingforshinies.com. Check it out, and if you can connect us with a player, we'll send you some goodies. Do you have any old stickers from 1997? Send us them, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Have you ever met a player from the 1997 sticker book? Tell us the story. Mm. No matter how mundane, we want to know. In yes, fact, please. the more mundane, the better. Do you have any 90s football memorabilia as naff as my Michael Bridges pen? Tell us. Contact us via the website, searchingforshinies.com, or via social media. We are at the Shiny Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please like us and follow us. We've also started to upload the episodes to YouTube, if you're on there, if you fancy a look. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps us massively. I'm that guy who listens to podcasts. I love them. I never rate them. So don't be like me. Give us a review on Apple, please. Yeah, don't rate this Lastly, one, though. Not this one. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Do you have any mates who would appreciate what we're doing here at Searching for Shinies? Tell them we exist. Put a link to us in your football WhatsApp groups. We'd love that. And last but not least, and above all else, mm. if you do one thing this week, go on. No, go on, mate. You deserve it. Keep it shiny. <laughs>